Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show Weekend Review! Man City look like they're living the dream as Arsenal's title challenge completely ran out of steam. Pep sides are four wins from treble glory, but will Real Madrid or Man United change the story? Big Sam's Leeds earned a point from behind and Chelsea maintained their 11th place grind. <laughs> and after 11 seasons of Premier League elation, it's goodbye to Southampton, who suffered relegation. Barcelona are champs of Spain and now can focus on chasing Messi in vain. Leo was booed by PSG fans who are still displeased by his Saudi plans. Mm, my name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's delighted to see Manchester City marching towards a treble, Taylor Rockwell, smiles all round. Yay! It is my favourite. I am so happy to see these things occur. And then, yes, all of the talk of the impending treble with those games against Real Madrid and then maybe a Champions League final. And then Manchester United in the FA Cup. Uh, I am nervous, Ryan Bailey. I am nervous and not elated by that news. Yeah, just four more games, Taylor, to glory. Maybe three games if uh, Arsenal lose again at the weekend for, um, <laughs> for Man City to uh, claim it all. It feels closer than ever because it literally is. That's how time works. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe you are correct. We are as old yeah. as we've ever been. There you go. <laughs> we are indeed more on Man City shortly, but joining us to talk about them, Tay-Tay, we've got a man looking forward to seeing Maurizio Pochettino raise Chelsea from mid-table obscurity, Joe Lowry. <laughs> How high can he take this team? Are we talking ninth, eighth, eighth? Nothing, nothing makes me more excited than talking about Chelsea's managerial situation for the 87th time this season. When, when you get Poch rumors to Chelsea, you got to talk about them. Ryan, I'm going to put the over-under and flip it back to you for next season with Chelsea at five and a half. That's where they're going to finish on the table. Above five or below five? Ryan, where would you put it? And then, Taylor, I want to hear your answer as well. I thought that was for number of managers. Genuinely oh, is what I thought I see, the joke you were making. So I'm glad you went in a different direction. It was number of hundreds of millions in the January market. <laughs> I how, many, say... how many beers? How many beers Todd is going to give his manager? It's not going to be a lot. Let's put it that way. <laughs> It's going to be sixth place for me, Joseph, so I'm going to take okay, the under, under but only okay. narrowly. Taylor? Uh, yeah, I, that sounds good to me, around there, because I think, I think it will, I'm of the opinion I think it will work, uh, but I think it might take a little bit of time to get the buy-in for Pochettino to have a little bit of squad clear out, and so there may be some growing pains, but I expect by the end of the season they have a solid run of form and sort of move up the table as a result. Marvellous stuff. And we did discuss, of course, Pochettino and Chelsea on a recent big thing. Still feeling bullish, Taylor, about Pochettino at Chelsea? It's match made in somewhere? Maybe heaven? Ma purgatory? Ma match yes. made in purgatory? Yeah, not yet. Not, it's definitely not a match made in heaven if you are a Spurs fan. Uh, I am more positive than I think I was on that big thing. Uh, and I was somewhat positive on that one. But I, I talked a little bit about my ongoing concerns that like no one has hired Pochettino and it seems to be that he's been out there waiting to be hired for some time 
a thing we realized in recording that show is that it hasn't really been that long and there haven't really been that many gigs that were open uh, to Pochettino or the big gigs that he seemed to prefer. But I think reading about him and being reminded of sort of the philosophy he brought to Tottenham at the time he brought it, I think that this is probably the smartest hire Chelsea could have made. And it also spites Tottenham, so I guess there's like an added bonus there. But when we talk about him taking over Spurs, I kind of forgot that he took over a Tottenham team that the previous season had had two different managers, both of whom were then relieved of their duties. Uh, He took over a bloated squad that had a lot of aging veterans who didn't quite fit with any particular system, but were still good enough that if they trained and if they bought in, they could work out well. And if they didn't, then they would be sold on. And that's basically what Pochettino did and then brought through young players and and got a lot of buy-in from that squad and we saw the results it does seem like there are parallels to Chelsea and I can see ways in which this works really well I think it requires Chelsea to be patient if things start slowly if there are some sputtering along the way if certain players end up surplus to requirement I think they can't be overly reactive next season I think they have to say this is the guy we're sticking with him come what may yeah I, I agree with a lot of that Taylor it reminds me in some ways of the conversations we had about Manchester United when Eric, Ten, when Eric Ten Hag was taking over, and we sort of knew that was coming. And we talked about it on the show several times, and I mentioned this several times, this idea that they needed to be patient. Like, Ten Hag is not going to come in and fix Manchester United all at once. And, and we know how the season started for them, losing to every team under the sun named something that starts with a B, right? It was a brutal beginning to the year for Manchester United. And they have salvaged it, but I think there's still, you know, we, we talked about this last week, a couple of windows away from really being a player in any major competition at this point. You know, I think it's going to be a very similar situation with Chelsea. It's going to take time. I think Pochettino, as far as a manager goes and his pedigree, is maybe the best out there on the market right now. Nagelsmann being the other one that I think would be a, a strong contender, but didn't seem like that was in the cards. I think this is about the best move Chelsea could have made in terms of the head coach spot. Now they just need time. Like Pochettino needs time to work with the squad. He needs time to figure out which players he actually wants to integrate into the team and keep around. He also needs time to to work with Chelsea and however much input he wants to have in the transfer process. He needs time because of how bloated their squad is. Like, they basically have to go and do a, a one... If they want to bring a player in, they have to move a player on because of how excessive their squad is at the senior level. It's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly. There's going to be a ton of noise around Chelsea in the summer. I think even after all that, even if they, they tangibly strengthen their squad, maybe in goal, maybe up front, maybe in, at defensive midfield... I think it's going to yeah. take time for this Chelsea team to really be able to climb up the table because realistically, they are one of the teams in the Premier League, as far as I see it, that has the financial might and the ability to challenge. We've seen how much they've spent. We've seen how much they're willing to part with in terms of, of, of revenue, in terms of, of spending from the ownership. Like, in terms of they're dignity. bought in. <laughs> they're as uh, dignity as well, right? You know, uh, the priciest object, I guess. Like, they're, they're willing to do this stuff. They just have done it so incredibly poorly over the last year. It's going to take time time to dig themselves out of that. Yeah. And I think that hole that they've dug themselves into, for me, it's unclear to me if this is a like Spurs-shaped hole or a PSG-shaped hole when it comes to Pochettino. Because at Spurs, as I said, he's able to get that buy-in. He gets people on board for the way he wants to play. And if people haven't 
uh, remembered. It's like pressing in order to win it back uh, within four seconds of losing the ball. It's really rigid patterns when playing out so that you can then sort of improvise off those rigid patterns, emphasis on controlling and dominating space, and a lot of running, a lot of physical work. And so I think if it's a Chelsea team that are hungry to win and hungry for a manager who has vision and kind of brings everybody back in and says clean slate for all of you, but now we find out who actually wants to work, I could see it going well. If it's a bunch of overpaid millionaires who have seven and eight and nine year deals, like there is that idea that they're going to be there potentially longer after he is. So is he going to get that buy in? Are they going to work that hard? I think that is the other side that it could go the way it did with PSG, where there's certain players that sort of have so much uh, importance to that club that they can't really be forced to train the way he wants them to train. They're not going to really do exactly what he wants them to do. My hunch is that there will be more players who buy in at Chelsea, uh, but I think there will be a few problematic instances where he either has to say goodbye to a player or has to have players train with the reserves or train by themselves entirely. But I think that's the sort of statement he'll need to make to sort of establish control at Chelsea. Wonderful stuff. We look forward to Chelsea, of course, coming to uh, North Carolina to play Wrexham, where Wrexham will probably poach a couple of their players because that's... What they do, let's talk about the Premier League. In fact, let's uh, quickly mention, no Graham today. Uh, Graham is in Italy. Try to warn him. He came here anyway. Um, he did a nice Patreon. No patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. Uh, he's in Sorrento, where he's looking at all the Naples, uh, Na- uh, Napoli celebrations down there. And it is uh, pretty much raining everywhere in Italy this week. So he's poor he on He brought Graham. it with him. Yeah, he brought it with him. Exactly that. Uh, uh, so poor Graham, uh, p- please send him uh, your... Uh, thoughts and prayers. He's yes, poor Graham game. vacationing in southern Italy. What what a what a horrendous life that poor poor man. I mean, when it's raining, Taylor, there's not a lot to do. I would say <laughs> it's the problem. It's good Scottish weather. <laughs> Indeed, he'll find something. He'll find something. But Patreon.com/slash/TotalSoccerShow for much more. Let's get to the Premier League. Everton nil, Manchester City three on Sunday. City just one win away from the title after Arsenal's loss, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, they're playing Chelsea next Sunday at home, so they can win the league next Sunday against Chelsea. They can win it on Saturday if Arsenal lose once again. They're playing Nottingham Forest at Arsenal. Uh, this could be, Joe, the fifth title in six seasons for Manchester City. Uh, very, very impressive stuff, as we're very much accustomed to from this team. Ilke yeah. Gundogan with a nice opener. Uh, set, uh, a good one setting up the header for Haaland for the second, and then a free kick to Gundogan, who is uh, apparently leaving Man City, who seems to keep getting these games where he gets goals and assists. Uh, good, yeah. good stuff. Yeah, I mean, what Manchester City have been able to do over the last five or six years has been nothing short of incredible. The success that they've largely sustained, how they've evolved, how the roster has changed. And we're going to see another round of that after the summer. Graham and I talked on the Patreon last week about Gundogan as a possible Sergio Busquets replacement and not, not an identical player. Gundogan is someone that I think of as getting forward more, of being more attacking. We saw him pop up in the box multiple times in this game, playing much more as a a number eight, one of those free eights for Guardiola, than a number six, which is what we see Sergio Busquets play with Barcelona. But, I mean, is is this this incredibly skilled player and I think could have a lot of success with whatever the next step in his career is. This, This performance from City... It's, it's kind of the one you expect to see from a title winner. I feel like there's, there's two performances, two kinds of performances that you think about when a team has been so good for so much of the season. And City did have a rough start, but since then, they, they've really rounded into form. One performance is just the totally dominant performance that we saw from City against Arsenal. It's, it's that bucket where it's like, man, this team is crazy good. Of course, they're going to win the title. There's no surprise there. 
The other bucket is like, wow, that was not the prettiest, but you got the three points anyway because you expect to see those kinds of performances from a team that is consistently good, right? That They're able to do something extra. They're able to give you something a little bit more or navigate situations where other teams with a bit less experience maybe struggle. This game against Everton wasn't like a, a performance that Pep Guardiola is going to want to look back on. They weren't particularly good. They didn't dominate. You know, they they had, what, I'm pulling up nine shots compared to Everton's seven. They controlled the ball, but Everton did a fairly good job of controlling space. It just didn't matter. Like, you have those individual moments from Gundogan. You have Erling Holland crashing the box and heading the ball. Nothing Erling Holland does can look normal. Like, the way he jumps, even, is so... It looks so weird and robotic and, and like, he's never jumped before in his life. I don't know. It, this wasn't a very good game for Manchester City, but the moments in it were excellent, and, and the role that it plays in their push towards the title was also important. It was indeed. Taylor, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, um, but this feels like... I'm old enough to remember 1999, and this feels like that period where Man United had that big uh, FA, Cup sem- FA Cup semifinal replay against Arsenal, where mm-hmm. Ryan Giggs took his shirt off, and they had the Premier League win, and then they had the Champions League final, all in this really... It was like two or three weeks, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. It feels like Man City are kind of in that period now. They've got four games where they win them all, and they get the treble. It, it feels like this is the moment where they might look back in their history and think, that was the two or three weeks where we really turned things up. Yeah, and if I want to be even more upsetting to myself as a Manchester United fan, I would point out that that United team, at least in the Champions League, routinely went behind and then had to fight back and find a way to win, the final being the best example of that. But they did that constantly in the Champions League that season, and so there was that sort of never-say-die, fighting mentality, Fergie time, all that sort of myth-making comes about. Uh, but they still had to come back from games. And by contrast, Man City are like kind of doing the same thing, grinding out these results, having some emphatic wins along the way, but also never really looking like they're that bothered or that much behind. You go 1-0 down to Real Madrid away, eh, you score one, you bring it back. But then that one aside, they've been pretty comprehensive in their victories, even as Joe said, when they don't look like they've really gotten into like that top gear. But this is their 11th straight league win. That is no small feat. That is pretty good form. Yeah, I think this is probably the period that they'll look at as being the most dominant, right up until the financial uh, penalties hit or don't hit. Kind of forgot what's happening there, but got to bring some reality back to this conversation or some, I guess, pessimism back to this conversation. So far, they have better lawyers than Juventus. That's all we can say about that situation, Taylor. <laughs> we'll see how that one unfolds. Uh, I mean, me- Juve got their points back, so who knows, man? Who knows at this point? For now. They this is true. We shall see. We shall see. Uh, patience, uh, young one. Uh, elsewhere on Sunday, Arsenal nil, Brighton 3. All Arsenal had to do was respond to Manchester City's 3-0 early in the day. They did get a 3-0, just not the one <laughs> they quite wanted. Uh, uh, Taylor, this was... Mm. We've got to give credit to Brighton for this because yeah. the second half particularly was a masterclass. This is their best ever season. They've got a club record for most points in a top flight campaign, most wins and most goals scored. This is a team mm. that got beaten up by Everton what the last game? 5-1. They can't do this. Yes. Yeah, and I'm glad we're starting here because I suspect we will spend longer with Arsenal uh, in this conversation than we will Brighton. But we should pause to talk about Brighton for a moment. They lose 5-1 at home last weekend. Roberto De Zerbi guarantees there would be a response. response. I'm going to guess that training this past week reflected his desire to get something out of this game, and they did just that. They took their opportunities. They pressed high. They were not 
overwhelmed or overawed by Arsenal at all. You could argue like at least the second goal is a fortunate redirect and it plays the player in. But at the same time, I think the way Brighton were pressing and cutting off passing lanes and blocking off certain players, they were up for this game. They were well prepared for it in players like Danny Welbeck. It did feel like they were players sort of trying to prove that maybe Arsenal shouldn't have let them go. And by contrast, it felt like Trossard had a couple opportunities where he was maybe trying a little bit too hard to score on his old team, or maybe he just had decided, you know what, I'll give them some points, why not? Uh, but either way, massive credit to Brighton and Roberto De Zerbi for the season they've had, and I guess Graham Potter for starting it off and then leaving, uh, but mostly De Zerbi, who I hope stays at Brighton. Uh, he's been linked with a number of different vacancies uh, in the managerial world, but I think he's had plenty of success at Brighton, and I think he continues to make them a better team than I expected them to be. Absolutely. Talking of the opposite of a better team we expected them to be, Joe, uh, Arsenal. It feels like that that game against Man City was clearly the turning point for momentum for this team, wasn't it? Yeah, it really does feel like that. You can even look at, I mean, there's a number of those kinds of results for Arsenal this year. You can almost trace some of this back to the 2-2 draw against Liverpool back on April 9th. Ever since then, they've had that really poor run of form in the league, only won two games since April 9th in the Premier League. And you go back and look at some of their underlying numbers, like, they're, they're conceding significantly more chances than they're creating for themselves. They just haven't looked good. And I think part of that could be, this is an intangible thing, but part of it could be the fact that they know that they're losing ground, like that they know at this point that they're, they're not going to win the title and there's a lot of emotional challenges there. The other part, I think, is that it's just really difficult to compete with Man City over this amount of time. Like Arsenal's yeah. squad is just straight up not as good. Like you look at the talent on the field in this game and then you look at Brighton and you sort of squint and it's like, ah, Maybe there's not that big of a gap there. But if it's Man City taking on virtually anybody else in the in the Premier League right now, maybe in the world outside of Real Madrid, you're thinking, yeah, it's very clear who has the better squad, who's going to have the better overall approach in this game. Arsenal have good players. I'm not trying to get them off with a free pass in this in this moment. I think they were exposed by some of De Zerbi's tactical choices and, and certainly the players' execution. A lot of really clever and, and well-executed long balls from the center backs to wide wingers in this game. Mitoma was really dangerous on the left side in the first half. A lot of good stuff from Brighton, but I think part of this show is that mm. Arsenal's squad, especially as you get into the, the middle of the back line, I don't think it's really quite there yet to be able to challenge for an extended period of time longer than what they did. Because credit to them, they've had a very good season. They've done a lot of things very well, and they've done better than I thought they would. But I think we're starting to see the cracks show, and we have been maybe for the last month or so. Joe, the few times we've tried to have this conversation in the past it seems like it sort of falls on semi-deaf ears. So I just want to clarify something really quickly. When we talk about squad depth, uh, we can be talking about just the sheer amount of depth, that they have four right-backs and two of them are down, but they've still got two replacements. And so it can be the number of players you have at your disposal. But I think when we talk about the difference between Man City and Arsenal or Man City and Man United or whomever else, it's about the quality of that depth. And maybe Pep is using fewer players in rotation that's a point that keeps getting brought up is like we don't have more depth we have fewer players that we're utilizing than many teams but the idea is that uh, you know when Arsenal lose Gabriel Jesus they're relying on Eddie Nketiah who is a good player don't get me wrong but is also on the list of I think like uh what, what's the bad xg Joe like when you should have scored and bad didn't neg- negative xg I, I you're using terms I've never heard before. Too, oh, okay. I can find it for you because it's uh, I, I forget which player it is has that. Ah, Patrick Bamford now has the worst underperformance of expected goals in the Premier League this season. But Eddie Nketiah is on that list. Uh, and so by contrast, I don't think Julian Alvarez is. And, and so you just you have 
the quality of your replacement options for Man City is better than what Arsenal right. have. And I don't know if that's going to change. That's the thing that I think Arsenal will have to kind of focus on this season. So I think this narrative that Arsenal bottled it, bottled it that Arsenal choked, uh, there's maybe some validity there, given that they were eight points clear not too long ago on top of the table for 93% of the season is the number that I saw. But at the same time, when you lose Saliba and you don't have the replacements you need and you lose other key attackers and you don't have the kind of depth options that you need to weather that storm, it it leads to kind of the inconsistency or the consistently poor results that we've seen from Arsenal more recently. And I think that's something that Man City have been able to bypass by spending and by training, by Pep Guardiola having the time to kind of bring players through and get them into the mentality he wants. I hope we see an improvement from Arsenal next season because worth noting that without Arsenal this season, we don't really have much of a title race because Man City basically walked there at a canter. So the very least, Arsenal gave us some drama, just probably not the drama that their fans would have liked to see at the end of the season. But also, if we're going to do silver linings, Taylor, this season was a massive improvement for them as well. Yes. Champions yes. League, second place, nothing to sniff at. No. I uh, At the same time, I can't shake the feeling that if things continue as they have been next season, we're looking at Man City vying for the Premier League title, maybe Liverpool back in there, maybe Arsenal back in there. I feel like Newcastle, based on the way they've been spending, been playing and will spend this summer, are probably going to be in that conversation as well. Arsenal might be, but I think Arsenal just have things they need to figure out, depth they need to bring in. I do think they need to have a different gear, a different look, a different mentality at times. And I can only say, again, from like a very amateur perspective, I always want to sort of uh, to add that disclaimer up front. But I've played in teams where once you have one loss, it just starts to feel rather than like, okay, we're going to get back to it next week. We're going to do some training. We'll be up for it. It feels like, oh, no, we lost that one. Here we go again. And I don't think professional athletes are necessarily inclined to think that way. I think they're better trained mentally and certainly physically. But I I do feel like there is something to be said for when you lose form and you don't have the sort of veteran players that know how to win and know how to kick on, it can be hard hard to rediscover that form or rediscover that confidence. And maybe that's a thing Arsenal can look at this summer is bring in a few veteran role players who can kind of add that experience and add that veteran guile and steel to the team. I hope Arsenal are still in the conversation next season because I think it makes for a more exciting Premier League campaign. Yeah, I think they'll certainly be in the Champions League conversation. I think it's sure. it's going to be difficult for anybody to really come into the year saying we have a right to be mentioned in the same breath as, as Man City, given how, given how they've ended things here. But, I mean, I like this Arsenal squad. Like, I like a lot of the pieces here. I think they have one of the better front threes in Europe. I think Odegaard is a fantastic late-arriving runner yep. in the box, a really, really good player. You know, they have top-end talent in a way that few other clubs do. It's just a matter of building that out, right? You know, when Saliba goes down, when Zinchenko goes down, you know, they have Tierney at, at left back, which is probably a bit of a better left back replacement than most teams around the world would have. But I think there's weakness at, at right back depth. I think there's weakness in the middle of the back line. I think the number six spot is still a, a bit of a question mark for me for a number of different reasons based on the different personnel in that group. But, you know, there's a lot to like here. It's just going to be a big summer for Arsenal to see how much they're willing to do to strengthen their chances ahead of next season. Excellent. Arsenal's hot girl summer is coming up. Let's take a quick break. When we're back, more Premier League, much more from around the continent. Going to MLS and much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's keep going around the horn in the Premier League. Brentford with a 2-0 win over West Ham. No Ivan Tony for Brentford, but they are still ninth in the Premier League. A superb season for Brentford. Guaranteed a top 10 finish now. Congratulations to them. West Ham technically can still go down on goal difference, but they need a 10-goal swing to do so. So all but safe there. Not safe, though, Leeds. A 2-2 draw with Newcastle. A pretty important point for Leeds, this one. Big Sam, of course, aiming for six points. He's got one of them now. Um, they came back uh, from behind to get this one. They are in the relegation zone in 18th place. Quite an exciting game, this one, Taylor. Three penalties and a red card. Lots of defenders running into attackers like they weren't there, like a FIFA glitch or something. Good spirit. Oof. Fun. Yes. I uh, I want to talk about that game. I first want to like spend some time on that six points statement. We've talked about it previously from Big Sam. Do we think he's been paying attention this season? Because, like, Big Sam from four years ago probably would have expected to beat Newcastle. My assumption is that he did not expect to get points against Newcastle. It's those final two games that he's targeted for the six points. And with that in mind, I guess this is a point earned. 
at the same time in this game, things go from happy for Leeds. They get the 1-0 opener. Then they get the penalty. It's going really well. And then Bamford misses the penalty. I think less, fewer than two minutes later, uh, Newcastle have their own penalty that's converted. Then Leeds are down 2-1. to one. They pull one back, and it's great. And then Junior Furpo gets a straight red card, and they finish the game with 10 men, and it is nervy, nervy times. But it's still a point earned. It's just a... Very chaotic series of emotions, I'm guessing, for Leeds fans to go from ecstasy at being potentially 2-0 up to being 2-1 down, and now it ends in a draw, and I guess that's good, but along the way, Patrick Bamford has a really unfortunate game. He misses the penalty, he looks indecisive at times, he takes shots when he probably shouldn't have, as I mentioned, uh, has the worst underperformance of XG in the Premier League this season, and got threats on Twitter. I I don't know if they were death threats, but I know his family was uh, attacked on social media, uh, which is not what you want to see. And by all accounts, it does not Leeds supporters, at least like Yorkshire Leeds supporters doing that. It seems to be people around the world, uh, cyberbullying and such. But I, I say that mostly because I can't imagine Leeds fans who are fighting for survival are going to spend their time harassing their striker versus trying to pick the team back up. So my my hope for Leeds is that this is a point earned rather than two points lost. Uh, but I, I felt like there is still that spark. There is still that fight back for a team that I think other teams in this situation, if they were up 1-0, potentially up 2-0, and then suddenly 2-1 to down, that's the end of the season. They, they don't come back. They don't fight back. It finishes 2-1, to and now they need those six points desperately. There was still a lot of fight. There was still a lot of spirit. I've criticized Luke Ayling's speed and uh, fitness in the past, but here he is scoring and running all over the place and making things happen. And it felt like this was a Leeds team that had a little bit of belief back. I think they're going to stay up. I really do. I don't know who will stumble further along the way to make that happen, but I think there is renewed spirit at Leeds and spirit and energy hasn't necessarily been the problem. It's the ability to play. But I think when you simplify the game plan for some of these players, as I think Big Sam has done, I, I saw a collective fight back, and I think that is a huge part of what you need if you want to survive. Look at you swept up in Big Sam Mania, yeah. Taylor. Going nuts over there. Good job, Joe. I'll take whatever the opposite side of the coin that Taylor's <laughs> side of the coin is. Um, the, the biggest thing that's happened since Big Sam took over Leeds is that Everton won a game. Um, and it's going to be one of or two of Leicester, Leeds, and Everton who are relegated. It certainly seems, at least. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm just not, I want to see it, Taylor. I want to see it so bad. I want to see Weston McKenney and Aronson and Adam survive. I want to see Big Sam carry on forever and, and ride off into the sunset with a bottle of wine. I, I'm struggling to see it though, man. I really am. We'll see what happens from here. These next two games, I think we're always going to be the most important for, for Big Sam. And, and it's totally possible that they get results here. It, it is not, it is not outside of the realm of possibility it's going to be difficult, though, right? You got West Ham, you have Tottenham. I just don't think you feel great about those if you're a Leeds fan. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. I think if you look at Everton for a moment, there are two remaining games. At Wolves, home to Bournemouth. I think the at Wolves one could be tricky. I think Bournemouth, now safe, are probably going to be feeling safe in that one. So who knows how aggressively competitive they will be. Uh, Nottingham Forest have, I think, Arsenal at home and then Crystal Palace away. So a game they could lose, or who knows if Arsenal are, are, are back on track by that point. I think there's just like reasons why I could see each team around Leeds dropping points or picking up points, Leeds included. So I guess you're right, Joe. It will take a, a good amount of work and a good amount of help for Leeds. But I think that Big Sam has helped a little bit so far. Uh, I look forward to them getting zero points and me being totally wrong about this. Yeah, boy. 
Uh, speaking of zero points or close there to Southampton have been ah. relegated this weekend. Yeah, sad face. Uh, Southampton losing at home 2-0 to Fulham. 11 years in the Premier League. Uh, they they have gone down. Now, Hassan Huttel, of course, replaced mid-season by pretty untested Nathan Jones. One home win for Southampton this season. Uh, 24 points taken from 36 matches so far. Hilariously, six of those 24 points taken off of Chelsea, which is uh, a great stat for them. <laughs> also, two draws against Arsenal. So they've done quite well against uh, at least those two London teams. Uh, Mitrovic, uh, who was back after eight game ban, scoring the goal that effectively sealed their fate, Joe. Uh, big sads for the South Coast. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's this one sucks a little bit because I think Southampton have very much become Premier League staples over the last decade. They're a team that we're used to seeing in this position, and I, I feel for the fans. I feel for for anybody who's going through that relegation experience. It's not one that I can relate to because American soccer. But I mean, it, it's I can imagine how difficult it is. And Ryan, I've I've heard you talk about it before, and it, it sounds not fun. So there's that side of things as far as why this went down. I think the Athletic had a good piece about this. That's sort of the different factors that went into Southampton's decline. The one that I always sort of zero back in on, though, is just how difficult it is to replace and replenish your squad after it gets picked apart by the big boys year after year after year. And that kind of became Southampton's thing, right, is we're going to develop players. We're going to be really good at this. They're going to keep us you know, at, at a, a solid level in the league. Then we're going to sell those guys on. Then we're going to do it again and just kind of maintain, if not continue to rise at the Premier League table. But I don't think they've maintained. They certainly haven't risen, and now they're dropping down an entire league level. You go back almost a decade now, and you can go through and look at key players that have left, and you sort of start to see, as time has gone on, the lack of talent coming in to replace them. And, and I, the blame on that can fall in a number of different places, but you have Luke Shaw and Adam Lallana in 2014-15, Morgan Schneiderlin the next year, Sadio Mane and Victor Wanyama the next year, Virgil van Dijk the next year, Dusan Tadic the next year, Matt Target the year after that, Hoiberg the next year, Danny Ings after, I mean, year after year after year, almost every year for the last 10 years, it's been these these key players for Southampton. And not all of those players are, are generational talents, but some of them certainly are. These players that are leaving, which then puts a lot of pressure on on the recruitment staff and on, on the ownership to go out and, and identify the right targets and spend for them. And that that hasn't really happened. It sucks for Southampton. My commiserations to the fans. This is not fun for anybody. Indeed. Uh, Villa Park, Aston Villa 2, Tottenham 1. Sixth consecutive home league for Aston Villa this was. Um, once again, Emery took charge of this team in November. They're mm-hmm. one point above the relegation zone, Taylor. Now they're pushing for Europe in their final two games. Spurs, by the way, officially out of Champions League contention with this one. But Villa again, great season. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, w- worth spending some time on those numbers for a second. As you said, takes over November 1st. Uh, Villa 16th, 13 points from 12 games, 44 points from 24 games uh, since then. Very strong turnaround for Aston Villa, overseen by Unai Emery, who, as we talked about when he was appointed, had a point to prove, wanted to show that he could succeed in the Premier League, and thus far is doing just that. Aston Villa still have a chance to qualify for Europe at some level, uh, but even if they don't, I think there are still plenty of positives to build upon for that next season. Villa have become a team that like, I don't want to play. <laughs> I think if, if you're a team hoping for a result, they have so much talent, but also so often look so well-coached and disciplined and just informed of how they want to play. And we're talking about the end of the season. Teams should be, but that isn't always a given. And I think Villa also still bring an electricity to the way they play and just a little bit of a sparkle at times that makes them another captivating, compelling team. So I think that's all, in my mind, down to the players, certainly, but a huge part of it is Unai Emery and the turnaround we've seen under him. 
And I contrast that with Spurs, who have not had that same turnaround uh, this season with new managers coming in, uh, exemplified, I think, in this game by Son Heung-min, who had a really, really rough game. Uh, Doesn't score, but probably should have missed a couple uh, open opportunities, including a breakaway 1v1. Sloppy touches in and around the box, golden-eyed for offside, Villa's offside line causing massive problems for Spurs in this game. I think Spurs offside nine times, Son was four of those. So I think that was the discipline of the defensive effort from Villa combined with Spurs just looking sloppy. And I think the end of the season can't get here fast enough. Tottenham need a, a refresh, certainly, and some time off to kind of just regroup. But they need a manager at a time when Chelsea are appointing Spurs' as ex-manager. Uh, Spurs still very much on the hunt for one 48 days after Antonio Conte left. I think they've got a short list of candidates. I think one of them is in the Netherlands, and I wouldn't be surprised if he is number one on their list. Uh, but right now, Spurs just look like a team that are ready for the season to end, and then they've got a lot of stuff to figure out. Indeed. Well, also a team who need to uh, figure things out and are waiting for the season to end. Chelsea, who got a 2-2 draw with Nottingham Forest this weekend. A very good point for Nottingham Forest. They've got two massive games uh, left to stay up. Arsenal next for them, as we say, next Saturday. A game which, if they win, they will give Man City the title as well. Double bonus, kind of, there, if you're not an Arsenal fan. Uh, A nice uh, bit of uh, passage here from the BBC's report. This draw leaves Chelsea now winless in seven home games in all competitions, in 11th, and with the prospect of playing three of the top four within a week. City, United, and Newcastle United. That ends their miserable season. Her boy, roll on the summer for Chelsea fans. Uh, Crystal Palace having a good time. A 2-0 win over Bournemouth uh, this weekend. Roy Hodgson with five wins from his eight games in charge, Taylor. Very impressive stuff. The right choice for Palace after most of us doubted that choice. Yeah, I mean, or even if we didn't doubt it, we sort of were like... uh Sure. Okay. I guess that'll work. Like we've seen this work. We've seen it go poorly. Uh, but I think we were all also pretty like, if not hyped, then just enthusiastic about Patrick Vieira. And it felt like, okay, they're scrapping that idea. They're bringing Uncle Roy back to see out the season. But that seems to have worked. It seems to have, I guess, just brought a level of stability to the club that they didn't have or maybe a simplicity in the approach. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean that I think Roy Hodgson has sort of done what needed to be done to get the team playing effectively enough to see out the season. And here we are with them in, what, 12th? That is not where I expected them to be at the beginning of the season. I thought they'd be a little bit further down the table. So credit to Uncle Roy for uh, for some of that magic he's working. And now I, on to bigger and better things, I'm assuming. He needs another gig, uh, Uncle Roy. Let's get him an international job. He's only had a few of those. Yeah, where next? Waystar Royco CEO? Maybe. Uh, well, we, we had had some speculation or some conversation about Patrick Vieira taking over the USMNT. I think it's Uncle Roy. I think Roy Hodgson mm. to take over the US. What could go wrong, Joe? I don't. I like mean, his last anymore. international appearance was super successful, Taylor. You seem to remember it was here in 2016. I think it went well. I can't quite remember. Let's get him back to England. Let's make that happen. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Manchester United with a 2-0 win over Wolves as well. Anthony Martial, the uh, classic Anthony to Anthony goal there. Enjoyed that very much. And Ganacho with a great finish in injury time as well. Ganacho, uh, for people who haven't seen it, scores that injury time goal. Vlad Veghorst is standing next to him and... and so wants the ball, even though Garnacho has dribbled through on a breakaway and scores, that Veghorst kind of does it like, ah, good for you, but it's clearly really annoyed he wasn't given the goal. But then Garnacho rips off his shirt to show his new like chest piece tattoo and also flashes his new pearly whites. He was really excited to score to show off the, uh, the physical work that he's been doing yeah. and also, I guess, the technical work in that finish. 
Uh, he's gone full Firmino. You never go full Firmino. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He's done it. Can see you in the dark. Yes. He's done it in his teams. <laughs> well done. He's well ahead of the game. Um, Leicester, the 2016 champions in the relegation zone. As we record, they face Liverpool, or as we record this evening. So, yikes for them. Uh, not a great story going on there in Leicestershire. Uh, one note I'd say, guys, from the NBC coverage, Stephen Warnock in the studio this weekend. I thought he was really good. I thought his analysis was great. He was placing Robbie Musto with Robbie Earl. I don't know if any guys caught um, his stuff. I thought it was a very, very impressive presence indeed. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. But they're not allowed. I thought they had to have two Robbies in the yeah. studio at the same time. Does he change his name or uh, how does that work? He, it's like a C. Montgomery Burns. He's Robert Stephen Warnock. Is right. Name. Okay. Yeah, so cool. he is All right. Oh, I'm cool with yeah. it then. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked him. I saw him for uh, the Newcastle Leeds, or Leeds Newcastle game, and I thought he he provided good analysis at halftime and sort of what to expect if things go well for each team and what to expect if things go poorly. And I like the kind of laying out of what to watch for in that second half, so you can sort of tell more clearly what's happening as teams start to get a little more chaotic. Very good stuff. Good energy. Uh, let's go to the Bundesliga, where there was plenty of good energy from both Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. Bayern with a 6-0 win over Schalke, Joe. Two from Serge Gnabry in this one. They are closing in on that title that we kind of thought was close and now doesn't seem as close as it was. Two games to go. They've got 68 points, one above Dortmund. This game was insane. Like, this game is probably the most lopsided game of the season, at least the most lopsided game that I can remember. You get that in the scoreline. 6-0. You also get that in like every other possible statistic. 25 shots for Bayern Munich, 5.33 expected goals to Schalke's 8 shots and 0.42. That's according to FOTMOB. Like Bayern Munich camped out in the final third. They camped out in Schalke's box for large stretches of this game. They finally break two in the 21st minute. They'd been they'd been on the front foot really from the start of this match. But Thomas Muller gets the scoring started and they just never stop all the way into stoppage time when Masrabi caps this thing off at 6-0. Bayern look really, really good right now. They've won three straight games in the league. It's not done, though, Ryan, because you didn't lead us there. But can I go to Dortmund, please? Can I? Can I, Ryan? Please? Can I? Pray you do. Take that. Oh, you good. Do. Go ahead. Good. Thank you. Dortmund also had a wild game this weekend. We're utterly dominant in terms of most statistics. 55% possession, 34 shots. 34 shots to Borussia Mönchengladbach's 13 in a 5-2 win. They were unreal in the attack for large stretches of this game. Gladbach's defending, also tragic, and you don't usually end up with, with this level of, of lopsidedness without a bit of both. But man, this was a, a wild game as well, and it gets dormant. It keeps them within one point of Bayern Munich. So as good as Bayern have been, as good as they were this weekend, it, it didn't really move them that much closer. I mean, I guess in that it's another week and Dortmund didn't you know successfully close the gap. That's a good thing. But man, this this title race in Germany right now has been exceptional. One other note from this Dortmund game. Gio Reyna comes off the bench, scores a goal. Before that, he gave up a penalty kick as well to Gladbach. So a bit of a mixed bag from Gio Reyna, which has kind of been the story of his season in many ways. His goal, a beautiful bundled effort from, yeah. a, miss, uh, from a drop-free kick. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, right place, goal. right time, Ryan. Right place, right time. Exactly that. Exactly that, Joe. Thank you very much. Uh, before we go to break, click, quick look over to Italy, where AC Milan went to Spezia. They did not win. A 2-0 loss. Their second consecutive 2-0 loss, if you count the one against Inter last week as well. Their first league defeat in two months. Uh, they went into fifth place. Their chances of Champions League soccer next season severely dented. Uh, given that they are uh, unlikely to win the tournament at this point, given their aggregate scoreline in their semi and the chances of the opponent they will face. Quite a weird one in this one, Taylor. I don't know if you saw it. The players 
uh, went to apologize slash applaud the away fans who'd gone to Spezia. And you had this like line of Milan players sort of intensely talking with the ultras at the front, which uh, uh, you sometimes see in Italian soccer, sort of um, talking to ultra leaders and trying to reason with them and, uh, I don't know, oh, take yeah? instruction. Something like that. Reasoning with ultras? Yeah, ask Espanol fans how well that goes. Uh, oh, yeah. When you say talking with, like, w- was it actual talking or was it sort of hold me back screaming at each other? Well, that's the thing, Taylor. I- I've lived in this country for two years now. It was hand gestures. It was angry expressions. So they might have just been asking for traffic directions. You- mm-hmm. It's hard it to been. tell here. It really <laughs> it is hard that, to tell. that was it. Yeah. It looked intense. <laughs> we really appreciate you, uh, you guys coming to support us. Uh, can we follow you home? We don't really know the directions. We don't know how to make this work. Um, Ryan, one question about Italy for you for a moment as potentially dangerous as that is to ask you anything about Italy. What is the situation with Juve at this point? So they were docked 15 points, then that was reversed. Now they're back in second place. Is there a chance that they actually lose those 15 points in the end, or does it seem like this is kind of going to stay as it is? My understanding is there is still a chance they could lose them, which will be peak Italy because they they you know they take away points during the season. They can do it after as well. Uh, I think it's unlikely at this point. Mm-hmm. Joe, do you have any extra information on this? No, the the only other thing I was going to add to this Juve discussion is not about the points thing. It's it's been a saga for sure. And Ryan, that's actually, that's very helpful information. The the way I was going to go with this is Paul Pogba was injured yet uh, again. Yes. Starts his first Juve game of the season. He's been out for a long time with injury. Has made a handful of substituting appearances this season, but went down twenty three minutes into this match for Juve over the weekend. It kind of feels like. Paul Pogba at 30 years old, that this is the new normal. Like, the new normal being we're surprised when he plays, not that we're surprised when he doesn't, and we're surprised when he, when he you know, impacts games instead of being surprised when he doesn't. I think Pogba's career is, is hanging by a pretty thin thread in terms of what he's able to do on the field, which is sad because I think at his best, he's one of the most entertaining players to watch in world football. For the fact, for this, for this all to happen in the way that it's gone down, injuries and, and going back to Juve and all this stuff, it's, it's a major bummer for him. It is indeed. Sad to see. Um, Inter with a 4-2 win over Sassuolo. So they're going into their Champions League second leg in much better stead than AC Milan. Lukaku brace in this one as well. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to congratulate champions in Spain and Holland and much more. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to the city of Barcelona, where the team Barcelona won La Liga with four games to spare. They got a 4-2 win at the home of their crosstown neighbours, Espanyol. They are the first, uh, this is the first time they've won the league in four years. Uh, interesting turn of events, Taylor, mm-hmm. after the game, where the, the, um, the Barcelona players celebrated like a ring around the rosy kind of child celebration going around the center circle basically doing that on the field of espanol who as we know are crosstown rivals don't have much love for barcelona so they're celebrating their title win on someone else's field uh barcelona where else has- are they supposed to do it run outside of the stadium and then celebrate I mean- respectfully <laughs> Yeah, just don't, they Espanyol were relegated at the Camp Nou in 2020. They're not the biggest fans of Barcelona. So to do it in yeah. their backyard feels a little bit mistimed, I'd say, despite being happy that it occurred. But uh yeah, yeah. I I I think uh, so when I first heard this, like f- first heard this story because then the ultras uh invade the pitch, Barcelona have to get off sort of just in time and even there there's <laughs> some some run-ins in the tunnel. There's a wall of Barca players screaming yeah. at a wall of ultras. And I will say, did not know how tall all the Barca players are until that moment. I guess cleats give you an extra like inch or so. Uh, or boots, excuse me, Ryan. I know that probably hurt your ears. Uh, but I assumed that it was Barcelona celebrating sort of flamboyantly and, and like wildly in front of their uh, their like crosstown rivals. And to watch it, it's basically like 60 seconds of them being like, hey, we won the title. That's great. And then uh, the, that sort of invasion happens. And it is wild to see them all sort of quickly become aware, all the Barca players, like, oh, those guys are running at us with hate in their eyes. And they seem very, we should probably go. We should probably go. And then they stream into that tunnel. It sounds like it was a combination of of Barcelona, like the hated rivals, winning the league on their like in their home stadium, Espanol, but also... Uh, Espanol very much in the relegation places, 19th in the table, four points fa- behind Valladolid with four games to go. So they c- could still survive, but it seemed like things, I guess, were like were simmering already about to boil over, and maybe that was the final straw. And I think a lot of that pitch invasion reaction was about uh, frustration with Espanol's manager, with the Espanol board, and maybe a little bit at Barcelona. But I, I think there was a lot of joking from Barcelona supporters that Javier Tebas, the league president, would find a way to blame Barcelona for the pitch invasion and then dock them 10 points or something. He doesn't seem to be a big fan of them right now. Uh, but uh, I think Barcelona make it out and are now celebrating uh, pretty happily, I'm guessing. And they should be because they've yeah. been very good this season, as Joe Lowry has told us yeah. time and time again. Some pretty revealing numbers. They've only conceded 13 goals in 34 La Liga games. That's an average of 0.38 goals per match. That's not many goals. Uh, Ter Stegen has kept 25 clean sheets. The competition record is 26. It's, I would say, the best season of his career that I can remember. And that's a player who seemed like he was going to be on the way out. But Xavi has sort of brought about the best form in him. Xavi has moved some players on, clashed with players that I did not think he would clash with, that I thought he would give preferential treatment to, has continued to play youngsters. I I, I think on the pitch, things are very bright for Barcelona. It's just about the finances and the boardroom decision-making and what they have to do to remain this team next season. If they can do that, 
I think they're going to be just as good next season as they were this. But uh, that is a big if with with the levers and mechanisms and financial constraints we may see this summer. Yeah, and, and I'll add to that. There should be a real question about what happens in the midfield with Sergio Busquets going and moving on at this point in his career. That's a big miss for them. Like Sergio Busquets has been the glue that keeps this team together and has been that for a long time now. For them to have to replace his his ability in midfield is going to be very difficult, especially with how Xavi wants to play. There aren't maybe any players in the world that can do what Busquets does, reading the game at an elite level defensively, even though he doesn't have the mobility. He's incredibly sharp with those reads, picks up the ball well, and then plays forward at an elite level as well in terms of his ability to disguise passes, to find players between the lines, to facilitate attacks from deeper areas. There aren't many Busquets out there. There, there probably isn't a single it's, Busquets out there. It's Sergio other than Busquets Sergio. and then it's Will Trapp, right? One right, Will Trapp, yeah. obviously mm-hmm. the, the number two in that list. Yeah. Well, Jackson Yule, I think. My mistake, yes, of course, well. of course, of um, course. Gideon's a lot. I mean, the list goes, actually, it's just American <laughs> players and Sergio Busquets is what it is. <laughs> I just need listeners to know because they cannot see Ryan not cracking a smile in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of the plural of Busquets. Is it Busquetti? <laughs> it's it's I, but yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. I think a good point. It's going to be difficult for Barcelona, all that to say, because I don't think Will Trapp is walking through the door anytime soon. So what that looks like is going to be fascinating and how – how their squad continues to develop, right? They made a lot of signings over this past transfer window. That was th- maybe the biggest story in soccer over the summer is one lever after another, after another, almost Looney Tunes style, whatever is going on in Barcelona. You know, what does that look like? Taylor, you got to that. You know, how, how, do they, how do they continue to evolve? How can they continue to support Xavi? Because they have good players. Don't get me wrong. Ryan's pulling levers now. <laughs> they have good players, but they don't have like elite level talent all over the field, right? They don't have a squad that is quite good enough to compete with the best of the best. I think on their day, they can be exceptional, and they were at this point in the season. They're one of my favorite teams to watch, partially because I I love watching Pedro and Gavi more than most things in life. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about this Barcelona team, but in the same way we've talked about with a lot of clubs that aren't Man City, but even Man City, if Gundogan goes, the summer's going to be big for them to see where they stand ahead of next year. There's still some room to improve with Barcelona, but credit to them. Like they were the best team in Spain this year uh, on a consistent basis, and we should celebrate that. I agree with all of that. I just want to add, since Joe brought up Looney Tunes, now all I can picture is the Barcelona board members like painting one of those fake tunnels for Frankie de Jong to exit. That's the only way they're going to get <laughs> find a way to trick him into leaving the club. Uh, although I guess painting it onto a wall probably isn't going to do that. Uh. But still, a, a much better season and a much more competent, well-structured season for Barcelona than I expected when we first talked about them uh, in the summer with the way the finances were going, with the way some of their acquisitions were going. I had a lot of questions. A lot of them have been answered, uh, but now we see what comes next. We do indeed. It's lever time, baby. All right, let's go to the Netherlands where we congratulate Feyenoord for winning their 16th Dutch title, their second of this century. They secured it with two games to go. Uh, Meanwhile, Taylor, at Ajax, we had, uh, well, an Ajax's away game at Groningen. We had uh, some interesting events. Did you say, we did. I want to get to that. Did you say this is only Feyenoord's second title this season or this century? Yes. Like like this century is in since t- the year 2000 or in the last 100 years? I, I believe that's how we classify this century. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because yes. for a moment I was going to say, is their only other title the one that Fra- or Johan Cruyff won out of spite? Because if so, that would make me very happy. But no, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, yes, credit to Feyenoord. We'll talk about them. Less credit to Ajax, though they don't even get to play in a, a full game. Uh, in the sixth minute of their, their match, uh, Ajax is away match with Groningen. Smoke bombs thrown onto the pitch. Shortly afterwards, a supporter runs on. Uh, so the referee reacts by taking the teams off the pitch. 
And I chuckle here because this is where I learned that this has been such a problem in the Netherlands of late that they change the rules. And now when there are things thrown onto the pitch, uh, it uh, you take the players off, you bring them back on, and if it happens again, the match is abandoned. And that is exactly what happened when the two teams were brought back on. Smoke bombs again thrown on, match called off. I believe we're going to get a replay or a completion of the match behind closed doors Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. Uh, similar to the incident with Espanyol and with the uh, the Leeds abuse of Patrick Bamford, it sounds like this was a very small minority of Groningen uh, supporters who were very frustrated by the way the season has gone and by the lack of transparency at boardroom level. Uh, even so, don't throw stuff on the pitch. Uh, don't throw fiery things onto the pitch. Don't invade the pitch. It's not a great yeah. idea. Uh, I, I feel bad for Ricardo Pepe, uh, who is, is there in, in Groningen, uh, but then Augsburg sort of in the relegation mire. I'm not sure which thing he wants to have, but I'm guessing a transfer to a bigger club that won't get relegated is probably what Ricardo Pepe most wants. Uh, but Ajax very much well behind the, the title race at this point, which when you lose your manager and a number of your key players uh, throughout the preseason, I guess that's to be expected. Uh, I, I did not expect uh, Feyenoord to be as strong as they have been under manager Arne Schlotz. Uh, I think that is the name that will be in massive demand this summer. And I think Tottenham should be and probably will be looking at him pretty intently. Uh, Feyenoord haven't lost since September. They play very attacking, very aggressive football, lots of pressing, high intensity, energy, uh, fitness, very much a part of that. But also, by all accounts, uh, Schlotz is is a big believer in, in communication and simplicity of communication and very clearly communicating what you want and how you want a player to do it. That seems to be a big part of his coaching, and that might seem very simplistic to say, like, oh, he's a good communicator. I think that can be a cliche at times. But from what I read of him, it sounds like he is very big on meetings with players. Are you sure you understand? Do you have questions about this? What doesn't make sense about that? Finding ways for everything to make sense so that he gets that buy-in. And from what I, I read of Spurs, one of the reasons... They passed on Nagelsmann, is what they would say. Nagelsmann say he passed on them. But um, either way, it was an idea that they wanted someone to bring in that sort of philosophical change and create that buy-in that Pochettino brought when he was first appointed there. And it does seem like that would be Schlotz who could bring in that that fiery mentality, but good communication, bringing through young players. That's been a hallmark of him at Feyenoord. Uh, but also getting the best out of veteran performers. It ticks a lot of boxes for what Spurs are looking for, so I won't be surprised if they're heavily linked with him uh, early and often this summer. Wonderful stuff. Uh, meanwhile in France, PSG are moving closer to their 11th French title with a 5-0 win over Ajaccio this weekend, who are relegated, no less. Uh, Leo Messi booed by some fans uh, in Paris, said the BBC. He did play the full 90 in that game. Joe Lowry, let's go to MLS town, baby! The uh, the result that caught my eye this weekend, there was a couple actually, but Chicago's 1-0 win over St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis now lost three games in a row. Has the, uh, has the sparkle gone at the City Park All in Capital Letters Stadium, Joe? Yes, it has. I mean, this game was in Chicago, but yes, I think whatever sparkle was there in St. Louis has faded pretty quickly. Now, because of how big their lead was that they built up in the beginning of the season... They're still doing fine. They're still in third place in the Western Conference, but there is not a lot of distance between them now and some of the other teams lower down the table. This a 1-0 loss. You mentioned it, Ryan. Chicago even gave St. Louis a back pass, and it still didn't matter in this game. So that, that gives you a little bit of context. Gaston Jimenez had a couple of, like, yeah. what are you doing, dude moments in midfield for Chicago in this match, and St. Louis couldn't turn it into goals. 
They've struggled. It was okay, a really wrote, short back pass, by the way. It's guys. true. The shortest one they've had as well. It's true. Maybe, <laughs> maybe St. Louis needed it to be a little longer, or like maybe they needed more room to run. It was in Chicago's own box, so you know maybe they needed some runway there. But I wrote about this back in March that St. Louis was a good team, and I, I still think they're a good team. They're better than I thought they were going to be coming into the year, but that they were always going to drop. Like the fortune was going to stop. They were going to start to have some injuries. Their pressing was going to have to go down as the season goes along, and and we're seeing those things play out right in front of our eyes right now. So I I feel. For St. Louis fans, my biggest takeaway, and I put this on the Patreon, uh, my, my dad criticized my video skills for this because I guess he watched the video, and I just recorded it with my phone in my hand, and he said he couldn't even watch it because it was so shaky. So next time, Patreon folks, I will I will do better, and I will have a, uh, a more professional video set up for you. Steady cam. Steady, steady cam. Yeah, we need, We're going to get need something. steady cam Spike Lee style. <laughs> we need something. But Gutierrez was really good in this game. Like He was sharp on the ball. Popping up in the left half space, he and Shakiri looked with it. They were playing together. Like it was maybe the best performance I've seen from Bayern Gutierrez. Not a perfect performance. There's a moment in shoot, I didn't write it down. There's a moment. I think it's it's towards the end of the first half where Gutierrez is in the box, is on the left side, and he has a chance to play a first time pass to somebody at the back post to like you just cut the ball across for a tap in, and he holds onto the ball a little bit too long. So there are still those moments where you can see him growing. His dribbling isn't isn't quite there. His strength is is very much a work in progress. But man. His quality on the ball and vision is special. Not just in the U.S., but special, period. There's a reason why the Fire didn't want him to go to the U-20 World Cup and didn't release him because they're that desperate to keep him around. And so far, at least in terms of results, that decision has, has made a lot of sense. Hmm. Interesting, Joe. It says here, Atlanta 1, Charlotte 3. Fancy <laughs> that. Charlotte going to the uh, Mercedes-Benz library, making some noise. Uh, Justin <laughs> oh, ran with no. two goals against his former employer here. And he did the very um, apologetic, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to score, but I scored for his yeah. first one there. Yeah, you get, you get him not celebrating against Atlanta, which, you know, I, I think is, is classy in a lot of ways. He, he tweeted after the game. But, you know, that was both because they're a former club, but also because of, of what that team meant to him during a difficult time in his career. So a good moment from Justin Miram in that, in that game. Multiple good moments from him in this game, really. Uh, Charlotte kind of returning the favor for what Atlanta did to them at, at down south a little bit earlier this year, where Atlanta go into Charlotte and wallop them. I think it was 3-0 in that game. Honestly, don't remember. It was it was a drubbing. This was a bit of a drubbing as well. Atlanta controlled the beginning of this match, but red card to Andrew Gutman, who also tweeted out this time an apology after the game for, for how he let down the fans. Two quick goals after that for Charlotte, and this thing was done and dusted. Atlanta have some issues right now. A lack of depth is really plaguing them. Lack of quality in central midfield. Some issues with the fullback spots. And missing Giacomakis up top from the start of this game. They have some work to do. I'm still pretty bullish on the project that Garth Lagerwey is, is helping move forward in Atlanta. But this is not a shining moment for them. Charlotte, Ryan, like they found, I think they found in the early stages, a, a stable recipe under Latanzio. They're doing a, a little bit less in possession they're maybe being a bit more compact defensively. I'd have to go in and look at the numbers. But you know they have some quality, and they're putting those players into spots where they can succeed. I still am not, not all the way there on Charlotte. I don't think I'm going to get there at any point this season. But a really good win for them, and, and it has to feel really good after losing the, the other half of this fixture earlier this season. I've just had a look through all the fixtures again, and I think I'm, I've missed the fact. Is it Heineken Rivalry Week presented by Heineken? Heineken this week I, th I think it was yeah i mean there were okay. a lot of rivalry games it wasn't like a full one like we didn't get el trafico for example we had lafc taking on rsl and and we had uh california classico between san jose and, and the galaxy but you know, that's just one example it wasn't a full-on rivalry week but uh i guess maybe half a heineken ryan we'll say half a heineken 
Half a hiney. Uh, quickly, any other um, MLS uh, action you wanted to point to, Jeff? Oh, the last one I'll highlight is the Red Bulls getting the win in the Hudson River Derby. This was very much a part of the half Heineken. Maybe it was the, the, the top half of there. I don't know. But a pretty quiet game in terms of actual shots. This is not a game that I think either team is going to want to remember for a long time. But for the Red Bulls, they'll want to remember the result. This is a, a really impressive start to the Troy Lesane era. Taylor, you, Goss, and I talked about that in, in detail last week on Tuesday. This is a period of transition for the Red Bulls. I think they have some wins coming. I'm, I'm pretty high on this team relative, at least to where they are on the table right now. There are a lot bigger problems. There are a lot of bigger problems and bigger questions about the Red Bulls and their lack of relevance in MLS that won't be solved by a good run of form heading into the summer. But I mean, getting a win over your rival has to feel good, and the Red Bulls did exactly that this weekend. Thank you very much, Joseph. Real quick before we head out, just to look at the championship playoffs back in England, the game that gets you, or the games that will get you into the Premier League for that playoff space. Sunderland, Luton, Coventry and Middlesbrough going for it this year. Sunderland got a 2-1 win over Luton, very much the minnows in this contest. Sunderland only made the top six, the playoff places, on the final day, thanks to Millwall losing at home. They're now 10 games unbeaten. They are in the catbird seat, Joe, yeah, for the are. Premier League return. Yeah, they Good are. for Sunderland there. Uh, Luton, uh, as I say, never been in the Premier League. They've been in the top division before. Uh, the They uh, they were a non-league team not that long ago. The last team to go from non-league to the top flight. Any guesses? Who that might have been, Taylor. The last team to go from non-league to the top flight. A small team from Wimbledon? Southwest London, perhaps. Who could Would say? it be AFC Wimbledon by chance? It, it would be the original Wimbledon. Oh, the original. Yes, yes, in 1986. Wonderful story for Luton there. Emulating their heroes. Uh, in the other playoff, Coventry Emulating nil. Emulating their heroes. Our heroes, collectively. Oh. Uh, like the uh, Avengers. <laughs> Coventry nil, Middlesbrough nil. Uh, Coventry... The blank face that Ryan had when I made MLS jokes is the face that I, uh, that, that I had when he started bringing this up yeah yeah okay i'll uh, quickly go on with the uh, coventry middlesbrough game which was had no goals coventry had no efforts on target uh this game had the championship two tops two stocks top scorers in it Woo! excuse me they had one effort between them uh chuba atcom is the top scorer in the league 29 goals his effort was set up by riley mcgree famously sold by hey. charlotte FC before they started he could be a premier league player soon uh he of course was sold by charlotte before the inaugural season and after they flew me to birmingham for three days to make a video feature with him which never came out because he got sold wonderful stuff <laughs> all right the second leg of those games is tuesday and wednesday this week uh other business we had a an old firm game rangers won 3-0 over Celtic, uh, Michael Bill's fifth old firm game. This was his first as Rangers manager. But Celtic, um, they won the title last week anyway. It was their second defeat of the season. And last but not least from me, mm -hmm. it was the Women's FA Cup final this weekend. A sold-out Wembley Stadium, the third time this season that Wembley which is, what, 90,000 seats or thereabouts, has been sold out for a women's game. Fantastic stuff. Chelsea with a 1-0 win over Manchester United. Some good news for Chelsea fans this season, at least. There, we there it is. Have it. There, there it is. This is. All right. This isn't, uh, this isn't Women's FA Cup related, although that is fantastic, Ryan, and I'm glad you brought that up. Graham, if you're listening and you've made it this far into the show, I just want you to understand how much Ryan cares about you to the point where he brought up Something Scottish. He put it in the running order. He decided that he was going to talk about it. He did that all on his own. Mm. There's love, Graham. There's love. I hope you're having a good time on vacation. Yeah. 
12 seconds at the hour mark is what they got, Joe. (laughs) 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 Which is uh, about appropriate there. But thank you very much. Uh, Congratulations to Rangers on that win. Uh, Thank you very much, Joseph Larry. To to be fair, last time we talked about the old from Derby Graham genuinely could not remember how many had been played this season so i kind of feel like i feel like we've got some license here we do indeed a fairly meaningless meaningless one in the grand scheme as well i suppose uh joe lowry thank you very much for your contributions in this here podcast right back at you ryan before you go how much of that sandwich that you posted on social media did you eat so a half of it in the restaurant, it was like a pastrami sandwich, which was three pieces. It came yeah, on three like parts. a parts. It was three sandwiches, dude. It was yeah. three sandwiches, yeah. A separate plate for the fries as well. Uh, I actually, the next morning, I had a couple of munchies and I had a fridge in my hotel room. Nice. So I kept it. Nice. It's not like Homer Simpson when he keeps a sandwich for like weeks and it makes him very sick. I was tempted to do that, Rouse, but I... Uh, Went to Cheesecake Factory instead. Uh, but I very much enjoyed my time in the States. Thank you for asking, Joe. Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure as always recording with you, good sir. A pleasure, my friend. Was it a pleasure to drink Guinness for the first time? That was also <gasps> a shocking moment for me. I did. I'm, I literally for have first Irish time. blood coursing through my veins, wow. and now I have uh, some traces of Guinness as well. I'm very proud of myself. It didn't. I'll say it, it didn't taste how I expected it to taste. I expected it to be like stronger and more viscous, I suppose, mm-hmm. but it tasted kind of like a really easy-to-drink beer, basically. Yeah, I like yeah. It. and I think calorically is one of the best for you if you want it to be uh, healthy as well. Whereas, yeah, I'm with you. The first time I saw Guinness, I thought it was going to be like drinking a hamburger, but it is <laughs> far lighter than you would expect it to be. <laughs> exactly. I didn't know about this calorie thing. I thought it was, yeah, like a dessert. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Uh, listener, let us know about your thoughts on Guinness uh, and much more. But for now, we'll be back on the feed very shortly. Bye-bye.